0: Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. to help Cam H treat addiction and build hope.
1: <laughs>
0: the situation in Gaza is not morally acceptable. That's not a political declaration. It, it, it's just a basic truth if innocence if the innocence of children is something that exists if human lives have value if these are things that we believe and and not like just sounds that we make with our mouths if we can agree on that much at least then we must also agree that what we are watching unfold in Gaza every day in brutal clarity is not acceptable. And it's okay for everybody, everybody to agree on that. We can agree on that even if we can't agree on who is to blame for it or how to fix it. And if we do agree, if we can get to that minimum point of consensus, then maybe we here in Canada can actually do something about it we can open our doors, as we have done before, for my people, maybe for yours, certainly not as much as we could or should have, but it is what we have done and it is what we can do now. We can bring people from Gaza here. Canada might not have the power to save the world, but we have saved worlds, many times. Whoever saves a life, it is as though he has saved the lives of all men. That's how the Quran puts it. In the Talmud, it goes, whoever saves a single life is considered to have saved the whole world. So that is also something that we agree on. Today's show is about a man, a doctor, who is trying to save lives, save, save the worlds of his family, people who are in dire straits in Gaza. Canada Land reporter Cherie Sutrin went to his home in Sherbrooke, Quebec to hear his story. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Peter Norman, Andrew Sturmo, Jenny Ragumov, Joseph Mannion, Rhonda Camo, Zuzana Tolchik, Barry Freeman, and Jim. My name is
1: Jim, and I'm a retired project manager and sometimes writer living in Edmonton. I support Candleland because I like the kind of podcasts they make. They're informative, documentative, educational. I didn't know half the stuff I've heard about on the documentaries and interviews. I started supporting Candleland early on because I like their non-corporate, freeform style of journalism. And now that seems to be the future of journalism in Canada and I'm happy to continue supporting it. Keep up the good work, guys.
0: We just unveiled uh, this Canada Labs initiative, this this hub for young journalists. We're opening up our newsroom and we're offering free workshops and teaching and mentorship and fellowships and contests and just trying to actually uh, create a welcoming space for people who wanna do this work. And I'm gonna just share one thing that I'm really excited about, which is like, we don't teach young people how to survive in the industry of media or audio journalism or podcasting. Like J schools, I think have done a terrible job of preparing people for like, what is really super exciting right now, which is that there's an opportunity to reimagine uh, as entrepreneurs, what news journalism can be. So when we teach workshops, yes, we're gonna be teaching workshops about how to construct stories or how to do audio journalism in the field and how to mix a story. But I, I also am looking forward to just teaching a little bit about how to launch a media business how to get an advertiser, how to reach an audience and develop one. If you want to support Canada Labs, it's going to be an exciting project, and I think we're going to make you proud. And I think that the names who come out of this are going to be the names that uh, you're going to be hearing about for, like, years and decades to come. Go to canadaland.com canadalabs to be a part of this, and I don't think it's a decision that you're going to regret. canadaland.com canadalabs. Thank you.
2: We're about two hours outside of Montreal at a hospital in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Hey.
3: Hello. Hi. You found us?
2: Finally, yes. Nice to meet you. Nice How are to meet you? you? I'm great, nice. thank you. Dr. Ayman Oida is leading audio editor Tristan and I to the entrance and down a quiet hallway.
3: Yeah, so we're in the Florimont Hospital in Sherbrooke. And we're going to uh, the research centre right now, where my office is, in my lab. So that's the research centre.
2: We're not here to talk about science, but Tristan and I get distracted for a while, checking out the instruments in the lab. It's not every day you get to see cancer research done up close. Awida holds up a sample for us to examine. It's a sliver of mouse tissue, stained purple and mounted onto a slide.
3: So this is a stained slide. This is an unstained slide. Right. We call it a blank slide. And the tissue here is a tumor.
2: Around the lab there're the typical stuff you'd expect to see. Stacks of glass tubes, mysterious bottles of chemicals, and an assortment of microscopes. Then Tristan spots something odd.
3: Can I ask a question? What is that device on the end of the can go on the there. end there? Yeah. It the looks pressure like... Cooker? It, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. It a pressure, pressure cooker? Yeah, I was going to say, is it a pressure cooker? Are you yeah. cooking it's a, dinner?
2: It's, a, it's actually
3: uh, your standard pressure cooker. I mean, look, it even says meat, rice, soup, <laughs> bake, right? It's, so what do you use it for? We got it from Amazon. So the tissue that we extract, you have to heat it at a very high temperature uh, under a lot of pressure. And the pressure cooker is what does a really good job at that.
2: So you just, like, pressure cook it like a piece yeah, of meat? Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, and I hate to say this, but it is a piece of meat, right? It's.
2: Uh, <laughs> we're all made out of meat?
3: We're all made out of meat, yeah. And, uh,
2: we're in his office now across the hall. It's decorated with degrees and diagrams of tumors. He says cancer presents a complex problem, where each attempt at improving treatment is met with resistance. It's why he got interested in the field. It was the idea that he could help to solve the seemingly impossible challenge.
3: Um, It's just the complexity of the disease. It's such a complex disease, and it seems no matter how much we improve uh, in the treatment of cancer, it always finds ways uh, around overcoming these treatments and developing resistance. And so it it just seemed to me like such a sophisticated question that I I wanted to tackle some part of it and see if I could contribute to it uh, in some way.
2: But there's another complex, seemingly impossible situation Awida is trying to address. And it's the reason we came all the way to Sherbrooke to talk to him.
3: So the extended family is really big, but a lot of my memories are with uh, my cousins who are my age. I mean, I do have some who are younger and older. This was the last time when I was there.
2: He's talking about the last time he was in Gaza. Awida has a Palestinian background and grew up visiting his family, over 30 aunts, cousins, uncles, nieces, and nephews. But now, they have all been displaced from their homes in Gaza. Some have been killed. Awida has been trying to do what he can for them to help this whole situation, from his home thousands of miles away in Sherbrooke. Fundraisers, media interviews, immigration applications. But it all seems to hit a wall.
3: Just a feeling of hopelessness and the fatigue with um, and somewhat of a depression also, of seeing the news constantly day after day after day.
2: But now Awida has joined a coalition of human rights lawyers as the only named individual in a letter to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The letter states that Canada's military exports to Israel are a violation of her own laws and must cease. Just last week, the Maple reported that based on information from Global Affairs in Canada, a record number of military exports to Israel had been authorized in the two months following the start of the war. That information was brought to Parliament.
1: The Liberal government has authorized $28.5 million of new military exports to Israel since October. How can the minister continue to sell arms to Israel?
2: The coalition's letter claims that there is a risk of Canadian exports being used in the violation of humanitarian law or in the commitment of serious acts of violence against women and children. This is where Awida comes in. He believes he has proof of this in an eyewitness account from his aunt Fatima, who says she was the sole survivor of a targeted attack by the Israeli army. Awida knows this attempt to do something might not result in change. But he says, He has to try.
0: This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand.
2: After work, we meet Awita back at his house, not far from the hospital.
3: Come on in. Thank you.
2: It's a typical middle-class home, and we settle in on the living room couch while being inspected by one of his cats.
3: I see a nice cat. Yeah, we have two cats. Oh. That's the more hyper one. We have a quieter His one. kids are home,
2: two school-age boys. But they're feeling shy, and they don't come out of the rooms. On the TV, a news station is playing scenes from Gaza. But on his phone, he shows us pictures of what life was like before, when he would visit the city of Zaytun, where his extended family lived.
3: I mean, uh, when, I'm, when I'm in Gaza, it's the time to get away from my parents. It's the time to run away from them and go with my cousins who know the city really well and uh, who can take me to places that you know, our age would enjoy. Um, we also enjoyed ice cream. Uh, there's a really, really popular ice cream place there.
2: What kind of ice cream is it?
3: You know, it's kind of like a gelato, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. some kind of a gelato ice cream. But this was like 20 years ago and it was really, really good and authentic. And, uh,
2: waiter shows us some pictures from his childhood visits. In one, a group of older aunts sits in the living room, while young Oida and his cousin make goofy faces through the window. In another photo, he's with more cousins and his grandmother, this time as a skinny teenager wearing a scowl.
3: And then uh, this is my grandma, who now passed away. Mm-hmm. But that's me right there. And uh, three cousins. Teenage you? Yeah, teenage me, and then three cousins. And then this
2: one. You've got small. like a little, like a... Cool guy. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be trying cool. To be cool. No, yeah.
3: Trying to be cool, yeah. So, this cousin right here, he was one of my closest cousins. Mm-hmm. He's the one who I'm in contact with quite often.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we're is talking about his cousin Mahmoud. He's in the picture on the far left in a backward baseball cap. He looks to be about 14 years old. It's been years since he saw Mahmoud, but they still talk every day, at least on the days when Mahmoud can get internet access. In the mornings around 9 a.m., it's 4 p.m. Gaza time, and Ueda can usually expect a call or a text, sometimes photos or videos. He's watching the war unfold from his phone in real time.
3: I've been lucky to be able to stay in contact with him quite regularly, except when the towers are just completely out of fuel and mm-hmm. there's no signal. Um, but this is a piece of land across from where the school, he's staying in a Norwa school right now, uh, along with my aunt, his four brothers,
2: the headlines over the past few weeks show that thousands of people have been moving to the south of Gaza in search of safety. Awida's family is part of that movement. They left their home in central Gaza to go to Khan Yunus, where they are currently sheltering at a school with thousands of others. On the phone with Mahmoud, Awida says he can hear sounds of shelling in the background. There
3: are schools that have been yeah. bombed, and in other cases where the debris would, from nearby bombing would would destroy the windows of a school or something, but Mm -hmm. that's the school where they're staying. And because of rain and heavy winds, they would have to, like, create these makeshift shelters Uh. to block the rain
2: from. He shows us a video. It's a windy day, and we're looking at the outside of a white and blue school, where there's crowds and plastic tarps flying around everywhere.
3: Because the school space is not sufficient mm-hmm. for, for everyone. yeah, And it's primarily the women and the children who will stay inside the classrooms mm-hmm. of a school. And that in itself will be crowded. But then the men, um, you know, they, they let them go outside and find their own spaces. Right. But, I mean, look what happens outside yeah. these makeshift shelters. The, the tarps are now flying off because of heavy winds and rain. And then they do it all over again.
2: And so all of the tarps are kind of flying out and becoming destroyed with the wind.
3: And that's a bombing that took place near the school where they're living. And so he just took a picture and telling me, um, pray for us, uh, it looks like it's getting really close.
2: He then plays a video for us of his seven-year-old niece, Naima. She's Mahmoud's daughter. She's in what looks like a crowded shelter, and she's holding an apple.
3: She was really sad here. Uh, she's like, I want to go home, I'm tired of this, uh, in Arabic.
1: But yeah, she gets
3: disappointed at how long it's been taken. This is the first time she's had an apple in a really long time, and that we've been able to make that happen because of the funds that we're able to transfer. And The food that they distribute is just in small amounts, and it's not nutritious. It's like soups and stuff like that. But she was happy to have an apple, which now she's going to share with five other kids, her cousins.
2: The money he's talking about, it's one of his attempts to help by sending money to his cousins every month. It helps them afford food and other necessities, most of which are now only available for high fees on the black market.
3: I started sending more money to allow them to buy food, which is available sometimes in black markets. They sell it at very overpriced, like an apple would cost $3. And those are people who generally don't afford these kinds of prices. And so it became a lifeline. I think without this, you know, um, they would be in a much worse situation.
2: How much do you say like per month?
3: Um, the first time I sent two thousand, second time another 2000 and then eventually I couldn't afford to do it as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. And that's when um, I had to do a GoFundMe page. I've never done this. I never thought I would do this one day, but I felt that it's so necessary.
2: But getting the money to family is another challenge is able to send it through Western Union, but the only Western Union in Gaza is in Rafa, a neighboring city. So he tells me that Mahmoud travels by taxi, up to an hour sometimes, and then stands in line with hundreds of others to get that money. But it's something. has also tried another avenue to get his family help, going the immigration route to bring two of his uncles over to Canada.
3: There was a lot of requirements for documents, while knowing that this is a time in which almost the entire population of Gaza has been displaced. A lot of them don't have documentation, a lot of them, they're, they're, you know, their homes are, are gone. But yeah, it was, it was quite difficult. We were able to submit that application and we know nothing about it until now. It's been three, four weeks almost. And uh, we try to follow up and the answer is always uh, in progress. Uh, we're still working on it.
2: In January, the Canadian government launched its special temporary visa program for extended family members of Palestinian Canadians in Gaza. However, it has been criticized by immigration experts for requiring extensive documentation and being capped at 1,000.
3: And I think the Canadian government did not do the right thing in this policy by you know, putting so many restrictions and conditions upon who can uh, bring their loved ones.
2: Are you hopeful that this will be successful for them?
3: I don't know I don't I, at the beginning I was hopeful. When the, when the program first came out, I was hopeful. Um, it took a long time for Canada to actually roll out a program like this, and it, it shouldn't have. Um, but now the longer we wait, the more we lose hope.
2: Mm-hmm. Then there's the matter of leaving Gaza through the Egyptian border. a costly and risky journey where success is not guaranteed. If you get a- approval, you'd then have to leave. What is that process like? Oof. That
3: process? Uh, it's a nightmare. First of all, there are many people who want to do this and who are trying to do this. And second of all, there are people who want to take advantage of people who are trying to do this because they're so desperate. My cousin is actually one of those people who tried to do this, and uh, he lost $10,000. Um, just like that. I mean, this is like you know, money you know, that they earned in a hard way. But yeah, he uh, he couldn't get out, and the person just took the money and never came back. So
2: While we're talking, Oida's friend Omar comes over. The two met a couple of years ago when Omar came to Canada on a graduate student visa in the biomedical sciences. They both happened to do research through the same university.
4: So uh, me, I am uh, Omar al So I work in a research laboratory in the same department where uh, Professor uh, Oida is.
2: And in Sherbrooke, another Palestinian is hard not to notice. According to Awida, there are just four Palestinian families in all of Sherbrooke.
3: I I told her we doubled in number since you came, you know. We we went up two times. I was actually really happy uh, and excited when he came because uh, we started with one family and then we doubled, me and him, and then we doubled again now. And uh, you just feel so close, you know, he's family to me and... uh,
2: Jabri sees Awida's photos and shows us his own. Being in Canada on a student visa, his plan was always to return to Gaza with his degree and maybe teach at a university. He'd built his whole life there, quite literally, built it from the ground up.
4: Well, that was an apartment that I built uh, rock by rock. You built with your hands? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wow! I built it. Uh, you know, uh, I I I spent uh, lots of resources and money to to build. Uh, I economized uh, for. Uh, four years to be able to, to do it.
2: He's showing us pictures of the apartment building he helped to build. It's a modest building, about three floors high.
4: In that building, we used to live, me and my uncle's family. And then they got all older and they were, you know, married and they needed, you know, their own apartments. So,
2: But then he switches to a different photo, this one of a bombed out structure amidst a pile of rubble. Al Jabri says he didn't even recognize the building as his own apartment until his cousin, who sent the photo, had to literally spell it out for him.
4: Well, I, I will tell you something, maybe you will laugh if I tell you that, but literally, when I looked at this image, I was not sure which one is my apartment because I didn't recognize it. Let me show you. He sent me that. Wow. He sent me telling me that this is your yeah. apartment. So it's like an image
2: is- that he's taking the same image that yeah. he's like yeah, yeah. written over with names yeah. so you can tell. With names,
4: yeah, telling me that this is Ibrahim's uh, flat, this is your uncle's flat, this is your flat.
2: Now his plans to go back to live in that apartment with his wife and children and teach at a university are all over that university was also bombed. Al Jabri doesn't know what life will be like when he goes back, if that's even possible. Awida's family are also worried. Leaving Gaza seems impossible, but staying in one place also impossible and dangerous. And that leads to the crux of Awida's fears. Because more than the harrowing living situation and bombed buildings is the risk of death. Because he says some of his family members, civilians, were targeted and killed by the Israeli army, an example of the coalition's claims that Canada's exports of arms are used to violate human rights. According to Awida's Aunt Fatima, she was taking refuge in an uncle's house with three other family members when bulldozers pulled up to the property and an IDF soldier entered the home.
3: So she was uh, displaced from her home along with her two sisters who were living there. And they went to a relative's home that they thought was safe based on what Israel told them. It was just three sisters and uh, one of their nieces. Um, And so those three sisters would be my father's cousins. And the niece would be one of their daughters.
2: In a video from Al Jazeera posted online, Awida's Aunt Fatima gives her full witness account. Candleland has not independently confirmed the account. Other media organizations have reported similar accounts of civilians being targeted by IDF soldiers. This video has been cut for length and translated and voiced by Candleland producer Nora Ezria. He entered. My sister was standing behind the door, and
1: she was holding a white sheet. And my daughter was also holding a white sheet and telling him, "Yesh nashim, yesh nashim," meaning that there are women here. He didn't care. He pushed the door and started shooting. The bullet hit her chin here. And for me, the bullet hit me here. I'll show you my hand. Here, a bullet grazed me and flew away. It was bleeding at first. But we heard him say, There are four mattresses here, but I only saw three women. I was behind my sister and he didn't see me. Then another man came and told him to come and started counting. He said to him, one, two, three. Then he stopped and told him, there is the fourth, referring to me. I was pretending to be lying down, but I was hearing everything. He stood there for about 20 seconds, staring at me, but those 20 seconds felt like 20 hours or 20 years because of how deeply I was feeling the fear. They took him out and left and closed the door of the room as the four of us were dead. I said, my sisters, who among you is awake? Oh, mama, princess, are you awake? Please, anyone answer me. Nobody answered me.
3: There's no reason that would justify this. Um, These are not even fighters. These are actually civilians. These are hopeless old women in their 70s. So three were killed and one stayed alive and she's the one who lived to tell this story.
2: IDF spokespeople have maintained they are not purposely targeting civilians in Gaza.
0: This episode is brought to you by Oxio. Motherfucking keep me on the phone for 100 hours, lie to me, tell me different things on the phone than what actually shows up on my bill. No respect for my time. What the f I I have better things to f-ing do than deal with an internet company for f- That's how I used to feel about internet in Canada. I had a lot of rage that I put towards my internet provider. And it's, well, it's not gone. I I can just direct it at someone else, someone who deserves that level of attention and vitriol from me. Whereas my internet provider, I'm just not thinking about them at all because I use Oxio. And so my internet is lightning fast, super simple, and I don't have any problems. They are transparent in their pricing. They are excellent in their customer service. Their whole team is here in Canada and they free up so much rage for me to redirect at other mother Who actually deserve it? Visit canadaland.oxio.ca for an alternative telco internet experience. That's oxio.ca, promo code canadaland for your first month free.
2: On the other side of the world, it was this video and this story that led Owida to be connected to a group of lawyers who believed it presented compelling evidence that Israel was targeting civilians and therefore committing violations of human rights.
3: I told them in one of our meetings about my story and I said it seems to fit the criteria that you just spoke about in the sense that it was not an aerial bombing and it was a direct targeting by soldiers towards civilians. They were just women in their 70s. I mean what what could be what wrong could have they been, have have they been doing?
2: The targeting of civilians has been a big part of the argument that South Africa is presenting at the ICJ in their genocide case against Israel. This is Adila Hassim, member of the Legal Team for South Africa, presenting the case in January.
1: This intent is evident from Israel's conduct in specially targeting Palestinians living in Gaza, using weaponry, that causes large-scale homicidal destruction, as well as targeted sniping of civilians, designating safe zones for Palestinians to seek refuge, and then bombing these.
2: The coalition that Awida signed on to, which included Canadian Lawyers for International Human Rights, also known as Clare, and a Palestinian law group called Al-Haq, sent a letter in January to the Canadian government arguing that they must meet their obligations or face potential legal action. They gave them two weeks to respond. This is Henry Off, a lawyer with Claire.
4: So the two weeks are up that we provided to Minister Jody in responding to this letter. We are now considering our legal options. One of those options would include a lawsuit against the federal government for the approval of export and brokering permits of military goods and items to Israel.
2: But the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Melanie Jolie, has maintained that the current export of goods falls under Canadian law. This is her responding to questions about exports in Parliament. When we look at the permits to Israel in particular, let me be clear. I have not received and therefore have not approved any export permits of weapons to Israel since October seven. And any permits issued since October 7 were essentially non-lethal permits. We abide by the U.N. arms trade treaty and we take this responsibility very seriously. (laughs) Thank you. The crux of this matter is the distinction between lethal and non-lethal goods. Because in Canada's defence industry, companies legally export military goods all over the world. These exports don't necessarily mean weapons. They can be protective gear or technology, but also parts for weapons, which all can be categorized as a non-lethal good, for which there isn't a clear definition. In the access to information documents obtained by the Maple, exports to Israel in the first two months of the war include goods under export categories, which include explosive devices in their components and aircraft equipment in their components.
4: The export of goods in categories related to these things or related to military aircrafts and explosives and ground vehicles raises the likelihood that Canadian military items and technology are being used to commit or facilitate these violations of international law in Gaza and the West Bank.
2: And then there are the concerns by human rights groups about Canada's indirect exports. A study by Project Plowshares found that Canada has exported parts for F-35 fighter jets to the U.S., which has contracts to export those jets to Israel. However, these types of exports aren't well-documented there is mounting pressure from human rights groups and the public for countries to examine the impact of their weapons exports. Just last week in the Netherlands, a court ruled in favor of an argument that supplying parts of weapons to Israel was a contribution to potential international law violations.
4: The ruling requires the Netherlands to cease the export and transit of any parts destined for Israel within seven
2: days. The parts are American-owned, but they're stored in a Dutch warehouse and then exported onto several partners. And perhaps it's that pressure from groups like the one Awida is part of that led to a motion being presented at the Committee on Foreign Affairs to study all documents related to arms exports to Israel for the past four years. NDP MP Heather McPherson presented the motion.
1: I have been asking for clear answers on military exports to Israel for a long time. I have not been able to get any accurate answers. I have received more than 250,000 emails into my inbox on this issue.
2: And that motion was passed. But in his living room in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Oueda admits he knows this is a long shot. He says the waiting, the hoping, the losing hope has all been exhausting.
3: There is a feeling of hopelessness because no matter what, how much I do, you know, there's this feeling that it's not giving results on the ground. Um, I want to do something that can actually uh, change something over there. And Despite how much effort we collectively put together as um, people who advocate for human rights and peace and so on, it feels like Canada is not listening. As a Canadian citizen, uh, I'm not afraid to ask for this, and I think Canada should value, if anything, should value people who want to establish justice and promote human rights and uh, prosecute uh, those who overstep their, their boundaries.
2: But yet he continues to try to solve this complex problem that may not have a real solution. But he'll try anything.
3: Sometimes you feel like you just have to, you just want to um, isolate yourself and withdraw. But I think that that's that's the wrong thing to do. Um, I think we can't give up.
0: That's your Canada Land. This week's show was reported and presented by Cherie Suturin with additional help by Tristan Capicione. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our production coordinator is Andre Proul. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglase. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called Syndication's handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. I want to remind you about Canada Labs. Uh, We do not launch new efforts like this often. And when we do, we really do need your help to keep them going, to keep them sustained. Please uh, have a look at canadaland.com slash Canada Labs to see what we're doing to create a hub for young journalists. And please support it. We really do need people to do so. You can also become a Canada Land supporter and get a bunch of free stuff from us and help us bring our journalism to everybody for free at canadaland.com join or by clicking on the link in the show notes. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read all the input that you send to me. Our website is canadaland.com. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.